0: The first reading is taken from Psalm 20 and can be found on page 553 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. And the second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. and can be found on page 1177. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
1: Great, do keep uh, that open. Psalm 20. It's great to be with you all. Um, Let's pray just before we start. Thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active and it never returns empty. It achieves the purpose for which it's sent. And I pray that tonight you'd speak to us and nourish us with your word. And some of us are pretty tired. And we need your help. So come and keep us awake and alert and ready to hear what you want to say to us. Amen. Amen. That's probably more for me than <laughs> anyone else. <laughs> Our daughter was up all night. Wow. Anyway, the first movie I ever saw in the cinema was The Lion King. You're probably my generation, quite a few of you in my generation as well. And 20 minutes in, you'll remember there's this bit where the son, Simba... Um, of King Mufasa is in the badlands and he's been told never go into the badlands because my domain is not in that area and you're going to be in trouble if you're in the badlands it's ruled by evil uncle Scar and his hyenas anyway Simba is in the badlands and he's been cornered by the hyenas and they're stepping closer and they're hungry they want their lunch and they're going to rip poor little Simba limb from limb and they mock him. They go, here, kitty, kitty, kid. My heart is pounding. I'm a little six-year-old. Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen to Simba? Anyway, what he does is he goes like this. He goes, ra ra and It's really pathetic. And anyway, they go, that was it. Do it again. I was thinking this is the end of little Simba. He tries it again, except this time it's different. It goes like this. Roar! And behind him comes his father, Mufasa, and he mauls the hyenas, and they run, and he says, if you ever mess with my son, and they scarper, of course, what if we realized who we've got behind us? Would it change the way that we act? Because we're all in battles in life. And often we feel like Simba, a bit pathetic, a bit helpless, doesn't feel like we're on the winning side. And I don't know the battles that you're going through, but we're all facing battles. Some of us are jolly good at hiding them, but we all face battles in life. Maybe your battle is brokenness in your family. Maybe someone you love has got depression. Maybe you've got a tricky boss at work. Maybe you've got... Colleagues or friends who give you grief because you, you're following Christ. Maybe one of your children is rebelling against everything you've been leading them up to believe in. Well, let's see what the, B- the Bible has to say about the battles that we face in our lives. Because this psalm is actually a psalm for battles. They pray it before God's people went into battle. So it's highly relevant for each one of us because each one of us goes through battles. And I'm going to read it again. Thanks, John, for reading it. And when you hear the word you, I want you to think, who is this person? May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Like when someone shows you the school photograph, and the first thing you do is you look for you. The first thing we do in this psalm is we look for us. Oh, you! That's me, of course! But as I've walked in this passage, and as commentaries have helped me, this you is not about me. The you, and it's not about you either, the you is about the king of God's people, And it's a prayer for the king. The national anthem is a prayer for our monarch. God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious. Long to reign over us. God save the queen. We're praying for our queen to just be so victorious in battle. And this is a prayer for our heavenly monarch. But it's also more than a prayer for victory. It's also a declaration of victory because there's a certainty in it. That's a confidence that's expressed in this passage. God's people, Israel, were once facing their arch enemies, the Philistines. And 40 days in their battle lines, they'd faced the terrifying Philistines And they were rather petrified because they had a giant, you remember, called Goliath. And then one shepherd boy plucked up the courage to fight them. And David was confident of victory. Not because he was good at the slingshot and he was jolly good at that. Remember, he killed bears and lions with the slingshot. He was confident of victory because he knew the God who was behind him. I don't know if you saw last year... There are these Lucasaid adverts, and it showed David, and he drank Lucasaid, and he defeated Goliath. And the lesson, which we all need to learn, is this. When you're determined, your energy can beat everything. I'm afraid Lucasaid got it wrong. They got it badly wrong. He wasn't confident in himself, his own energy, or his past success. David was confident in God. He was so confident, you don't need to turn to it, but this is what he says in, when he faced Goliath. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Hear that rage in his voice. He's Really cross at this guy defying the name of God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the, and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear or lucasade that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. And that's exactly what happened. He destroyed Goliath and all the Philistine army. Praise the Lord. So this psalm is a prayer for the king of God's people. And it's a confident declaration that God's king is going to win. And God's king always wins in the end. And as New Testament people, as the New Testament people of God Our king is Jesus. And this psalm reminds us that Jesus always wins in the end. And there's two things, if you want to take them down in your notice. There's two things that show us in this passage why he's going to win in the end. And the first is from verse 2, his help. Because of where Jesus' help comes from. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. That's where God dwells. Jesus is going to win because he's got heaven's throne room behind him. There's no doubt about the outcome when you've got heaven's throne room behind you. He's got legions and battalions and regiments, hosts of angel armies behind him. Not to mention verse 6. The victorious power of his right hand. Jesus is going to win when you've got that power behind you. I was watching D-Day documentaries the other month. And in World War II, after they got a beachhead, just after the Normandy landings, the Allied forces, if they face opposition from the Nazis, they got on the phone or the radio and they call up Bomber Command and they say, the Nazis are here. And annihilate them. So the bombers came in, the RAF had overwhelming air superiority, they'd come in and they'd obliterate the Nazis. And then the ground troops could move forward. The resistance had gone. Jesus has all might and all power from behind him, so he's always going to win. It was like Simba, he had Mufasa behind him, he was always going to beat those mangy hyenas. So he's going to win because of his help. He's also going to win because of his heart. Read with me verse... Three, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. In other words, may God remember the king's, remember it's not about you, the king's sacrifices and burnt offerings. The king's, King Jesus' offering was pleasing. It was acceptable to God. Before battle in the Bible, the kings would often offer a sacrifice to God just to make sure they were right with God and begging him, basically, for for success. And actually, you might remember King Saul, he offered a wrong sacrifice. And what happened? The whole dynasty was not in his line because he got it wrong. So it's important you get your sacrifices right before God. King Jesus offered his whole life perfectly before God. And therefore, he's going to win. His life was conducted in the most perfect way. Never, never screwed it up. No thought was out of line. And therefore his offering was pleasing and acceptable to God. Hebrews says, unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The problem, though, is it doesn't seem to ring true in life. Because you've got a lot of leaders out there who don't seem to have a right heart with God and yet they prosper, don't they? You look at a lot of business leaders or a lot of politicians and they don't honor God and they often go exactly the opposite ways and they seem to prosper. Or on a global scale, Kim Jong-un, Idi Amin, ISIS, these guys often in their time seem to prosper, don't they? But Jesus... His offering was acceptable, and therefore his plans succeed. Verse 4, may he give you the desire of your heart, make all your plans succeed. Every plan of Jesus succeeds. Every desire of his heart is granted because his heart is pure and acceptable to God. I met a chap the other week, and he plays fantasy football. There's probably a few of you guys know about it. And you, there's, there's six million wannabe football managers across the country, and they all, you've got a fictitious budget of 100 million quid, and you've got 15 players you can have in your squad, and you're trying to be the best manager, make the right moves at the right time, drop the dud ones at the right time. Anyway, this guy has won it across the whole country twice. My jaw hit the ground when I heard that. Every move this guy has made. As it were, has been perfect for those two seasons. You're in amazement, aren't you, Jack? That's big. Amazement. I can introduce you to him if you want. Yeah, imagine though, Jesus, every single move he makes is perfect. He never makes a dud move. That's really good news for each one of us because there's no mistakes in his economy. He doesn't mess up any lives. There's no mistakes. His plans always succeed. And because of that, we can be overwhelmingly confident of victory. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. The old NIV, the one I was working off, said... We will shout for joy. There's just a total confidence. Jesus, God's king, is, is going to win. We will shout for joy when you're victorious. Sometimes, however, confidence is poorly placed, isn't it? Lucas got it wrong. They thought his confidence was in himself. And England, the rugby team, they got it wrong in 2011. They, in the Six Nations... You've got five games to play, and after four games, a video was leaked, and it had the team running around the place, and then the strapline at the bottom was Grand Slam champions, because they won the first four games, but they weren't Grand Slam champions yet. They had one more game to play, so it was a bit silly to leak that video. Anyway, Ireland thumped them 24-8. Unlike England, we can be totally confident of the outcome of King Jesus. The key is not to be confident in ourselves. And the good news, and there's always good news of Jesus, the good news is that even when things look bad, Jesus always wins in the end. Look at the cross. As you look at the cross behind me, As they looked at the cross, it looked like total defeat and humiliation. Jesus, the one who saved others, couldn't save himself. Strung up on a cross, abandoned by his friends and his followers, denied and betrayed by his closest. And yet, as you read through the whole Bible, unequivocally, it's a victory the cross is a victory because jesus defeated satan and his evil powers it's a funny victory in fact it seems to redefine what we call victory in our lives if that's what victory looks like maybe we need to reconsider victory so how do we pray this psalm we're we're not facing a physical army like the old testament people of god As Ephesians reminded us, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus is doing battle against Satan and his demons and darkness. Just the other month, we were on holiday with some friends, and each night we prayed for a different friend after dinner. And one night the last night actually, around the table we, um, one of our friends opened up really bravely of her and she shared, could we pray for her, their child? And this child of theirs, their behavior seemed a little bit uncharacteristic. When all the other kids came out of nursery, they'd give their mum a hug. When this child came out, they'd push their sibling and be really rude to their parents and all other people. They're just so uncharacteristic, this behavior. It's just not normal child child behavior. And kids can be rude. So, uh, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, they thought they actually lived next to a witch when um, the baby was born. And they thought, and into like the occult, dark stuff. Anyway, they thought that this neighbor had spoken something evil over the child when they were born. So what we did that night is we prayed in the name of Jesus for victory over whatever this thing was causing in, over her personality. And we broke bread. We had communion. We shared that. And then minutes, like half an hour later, this child who was asleep woke up and was vomiting all over her bed. It was extraordinary. And then... Three weeks later, we saw our friends again, and my friend came up to me and said, You would not believe the difference in our daughter. She's a totally changed child. Jesus brought the victory he won at the cross to bear in this situation. We all face battles, some of us are better at hiding them than others. But the question is who's going to win? And maybe we've got an idea of what victory looks like in the battles we're facing. As I've lived this psalm for the past few weeks, it's challenged me to start thinking, what does Jesus' victory look like in my battles? Not what does my victory look like, because I can jolly well tell you what my victory would look like. But what does Jesus' victory look like in my battles? If your family's going through brokenness, maybe victory looks like that situation being resolved. And it might be that for Jesus. But maybe Jesus' victory looks like remaining godly in the midst of horrific suffering. Maybe Jesus most glorified when people are remaining faithful to him despite the horrible circumstances around us. The cross didn't look victorious, but it was. We often want success to look... We want victory to look successful outwardly. But often, victory is only seen in the heart. And the only person who, who knows that is between you and God. And often the choices that we make in the, long, in the short term don't look any different to those of the, our friends around us who aren't following Christ. But in the long run... You see the victory worked out. It takes time. The victory of Christ will be worked out as you just plod on trusting God, doing the right thing, following his ways. And I believe that the invitation from Jesus to each one of us tonight is Will you trust me? He says, Will you trust me? He invites us, Will you trust me? And he's got a promise. He says, You'll be victorious. The temptation is not to trust him. The temptation is to trust either in yourself or in the lucasade you've got around in, in your tummy. Or verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses. A soldier is naturally going to be tempted to trust in their weaponry as their means of victory. And in the spiritual battles you face, I don't know what, what is it that you're tempted to trust in other than God. Is it to trust yourself or the means around you? What is it that you're tempted to trust in? If you're battling depression, maybe the chariot, as it were, to trust in is medication or counseling. Of course, medication, counseling, they're they're not bad things. They're great things. But the challenge is to trust in God, not put our trust in them. Or if you've got a tricky boss, maybe the chariot to trust in or the temptation is to produce really high quality work so you get good rapport with your boss. That's not a bad thing to do. But the challenge from Jesus is to put our trust in him. Or maybe there's someone you really love and they're not following the Lord and it breaks your heart. And the challenge is, the chariot to trust in is putting our trust in something like the alpha course or the preacher. That's what's going to lead them to the Lord, to to bring success. Of course, they're good things, but you want to trust the God who's behind the alpha course. Verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and, and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Before you go to bed tonight in a few hours time, I want you to consider, just take some time, five minutes before you go to bed, and think, what is the chariot that you're tempted to put your trust in? Then put it under your foot. Take something symbolic of that, put it under your foot and say, I'm not going to put my trust in it. Open up Psalm 20 and pray that saying, I'm going to trust in you, God. Maybe as we've been considering this battle going on, you're aware that you've, you're on the wrong side, as it were. You've been opposing Jesus and his forces. And we've seen that the outcome is certain. Jesus is going to win. There's no doubt about it. Like with David, there was no doubt about who was going to win. That day. Jesus and his followers are going to bring judgment on all who oppose him. His victory over evil it was inaugurated at the cross and it's it's going to be finalized when he comes again to judge. Jesus is always going to win. And if you realize you're on the wrong side, I want to encourage you to change allegiance today. He promises, trust me and you will be victorious. Verse 8 if you oppose him, you're going to be brought to your knees and fall, but if you trust him, verse eight, you'll rise up and stand firm. Come and talk to me if you want to change allegiance today. That would be so exciting for someone here who realizes they need to change allegiance. Imagine what it would look like if, as a church, we decided to place our trust in God more and less in our chariots, not in ourselves. What would it look like? Imagine all together Tuesday prayer meetings rammed full as the Sunday services because we're not putting our trust in our programs, we're putting our trust in God. Imagine we look what we look like in our suffering. We might be more Christ-like. We'd be less flustered or stressed or angry when battles aren't going our way because we'd be trusting in God. Imagine we'd be more patient when our plans don't succeed. But trusting God and doing the right things will trust that God will be victorious in the end. Because Jesus' plans always succeed. And imagine the great day when the final battle lines are drawn between Christ and his people versus Satan and all those who've opposed Christ. You'll be on his side, the victorious side, because Jesus always wins in the end. So to close, I heard the great evangelist Billy Graham, who died the other year, he said, I've read the last page of the Bible, it's going to turn out alright. Jesus always wins in the end. And the invitation from Jesus to each one of us today is will you trust me? Let's pray. Father, we are so